0: You're listening to On the Road, Our Way, the archive of the podcast formerly known as Women on the Road, from 2017 to 2020. Hosted and produced by Laura Borshevsky and a production of Ravel Media. We're excited to announce a new sponsor that we'll be partnering with this spring and summer because they're so aligned with the stories we choose to tell. Merrill. In fact, we've already featured some of Merrill's ambassadors on past episodes of the show. Women like Nicole Brown and Cutta and Ramos and love all that Merrill does to encourage everyone to get out there and do what they love most. Merrill believes there isn't just one way to get where we're going. And as travelers who are drawn to new destinations by the outdoor journeys that await, that's something we can completely relate to, especially when it comes to seeking out new trails. Over the course of this summer, we'll be partnering with Merrill to share stories about journeys and how the trail isn't just the destination you aim for when you get in the car, but a crucial part of the journey itself. Because everyone's path on the trail is a little different And like Merrill, we've always been curious to know the unique reasons you're getting out there and what you find for yourself once you do. Stay tuned for later in this episode when I share my experience with my first pair of Meryl shoes and why I got them for my time traveling on the road. To learn more, visit Merrill.com. Also, this episode contains in-depth stories and first-person insights on eating disorders and eating disorder rehabilitation. Just wanted to give you a heads up before we jump in.
1: Now that I'm a little bit closer to that vision that I had back in rehab four years ago, every time that I do travel, I have this immense amount of gratitude and immense amount of praise for where
0: I am now. I'm Laura Hughes, and you're listening to Women on the Road, a podcast to bring you closer to some of the honest experiences that life on the road has to offer from the perspective of women who've lived it firsthand. A lot of us associate travel with finding healing, and for good reason. Whether it's an escape, a shift in perspective, getting outdoors, or being exposed to something new, travel is, literally, a common vehicle for those looking to disconnect, reflect, and recover. But that's the version of recovery and travel that's tied up neatly with a bow. The reality is that, in the face of grief, trauma, or in Lindsay Hall's case, an eating disorder, there's usually a lot of healing that needs to happen first, before travel is even an option. You heard Lindsay's voice at the top of this episode. She's an extremely talented and honest writer, which is something we were immediately drawn to. If you look through her blog or social media, it's easy to see that Lindsay writes a lot about recovery, as well as the eating disorder she's been living with since her early adulthood. You'll see, too, that she loves a good road trip, a soak in some hot springs, or a simple weekend getaway. She even has plans of getting a van sometime this year and converting it with her partner for a project you'll hear about later on. I learned so much from listening to Lindsay share her unfiltered thoughts on recovery. But the biggest takeaway I had is that there are so many ways we are privileged to travel, beyond what we probably see or know on a daily basis. Our lives are often not tied up in a neat package, and especially when it comes to our health, including our very important mental health, it can be difficult to get out the door and just go. And also, while the road to recovery can sometimes be found on an actual road, it's a fairly romantic notion that it's that simple there's usually a lot of work that needs to happen first. But that's the thing about travel, it can be a big motivator. To get things started, here's Lindsay on her recent transition to remote work, which is one big step in her ultimate plan of hitting the road full-time for a bit. I started my
1: new remote job in January, and so I'm full-time remote as of now, and then promptly after I started it, I had to be in New York for business for three weeks, and then I'm going back to Texas on Friday for two weeks. So in the actual van life traveling, I'm still just saving money for it because I'm going to be gone again for pretty much the entire month of March. So my goal is that I buy, I'm hoping end of summer, I'll have an actual van to be converting. Garrett, my partner and I are sitting down like working through concepts and looking at different ways to convert it or what we want and even really what van I'm kind of narrowing in on. So that's kind of where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah, that's exciting. And just so we can get a little bit of context, what is your trade that you've taken from an office gig to something that's remote?
1: I always say that I have like two careers. I have a nine to five in a, at a PR agency. And I kind of think in this day and age, a lot of like creative work, whether you're in the marketing industry or the uh, public relations industry. You can find a lot more remote type positions for that. It's really drifting that way since so much of my work is actually just online on the computer and every now and then a client call or calling like a news desk or et cetera. But I do that nine to five. And then, of course, I have my eating disorder recovery blog that I started four and a half years ago called I Haven't Shaved in Six Weeks dot com.
0: I love the name of that. (laughs) What's the origin, if you don't mind my asking, of the URL?
1: Yeah, uh, of course. I, uh, again, never thought that I would be saying that out loud all over the world, but this is where I'm at, and so I just embrace it now, but it started from, I went to treatment for an eating disorder in 2013 to 2014, and right before I went, I was sitting there looking for resources online, trying to figure out, like, what the hell I was getting myself into. I knew I needed the help, but I was absolutely terrified to go. And I couldn't find anything. Like, I couldn't find any first-hand account of what treatment was actually going to be like. I wanted to know what the women would be like because I was going to an all-female facility. I wanted to know what the food was going to be like. I wanted to know what the structured activity, you know, just a general timeline of what it's like to be in there. It's scary when you have no background. And I couldn't find anything, so I promised myself that when I got out, I would start to write about it. And so one of the first things that I recognized signing into this 24-7 Treatment program was that you couldn't shave. And of course, I didn't think about it at the time, but you can't have razors in there because of self harm, and other women might struggle with self harm. And so that's where the origin of I haven't shaved in six weeks because I was in residential treatment for six weeks before I went to outpatient, hence the blog.
0: I think that's really clever, and I appreciate you finding a way to show a little bit of humor and honesty in a situation that just has a lot of darkness to it as well. I'm wondering how comfortable you are with sharing a little bit about your background with your journey regarding mental health and eating disorders and anything you want to share about that to give some context. I'd love to hear.
1: So I really started this blog to be to be. Open about the entire journey, and I didn't know where it would lead. And all it's led to over the last four and a half years is really just me being more transparent and as authentic as I know how to be in a day. Because I think authenticity is something that kind of changes sometimes because our perspectives change, right? But here's what I always say: is that I am no different than most women that start off having an eating disorder. I am kind of the stigma encapsulated, which is frustrating at times, but. I grew up in a community. I was from the South. I grew up in a really conservative family. I went to private school. So it was just kind of the way I was around this. And beauty was everything. Being thin was everything. When I was a little kid, I remember hearing my mother and her friends talk about their diets and about being thin. And just, you know, the diet talk, it was so prevalent. And so by the time that I was 12 or 13, my friends were talking about it. And for me, I had always been a smaller child and that was kind of my identity is that people had always said something to me about how short I was or about how tiny I was so like if you line the class up tallest to shortest I was always the shortest so I think that there was a part of me as a child that really thought that that was my identity I wasn't the prettiest I wasn't the smartest I wasn't the most athletic but I was the tiniest so as I went into high school and started to hit puberty as everybody does I really struggled with coming to terms with no longer being that identity or no longer looking that way and what I always like to say is like people have no problem commenting on your body if you're in a thin body or a smaller body they feel like it's like their right to say something so people would always be like oh you're finally filling out oh you're finally looking different and so there was like this point in high school where I realized like I don't know who I am without being this thinner or 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 short person and so i would say that like my eating disorder tendencies really started around then and at the time you know nobody starts off in an eating disorder knowing it's an eating disorder and nobody starts having an eating disorder like going full-fledged it's just like a drug addiction right or like alcohol addiction it's like you try it and then you add a little bit more and then you start like climbing into the cycle a little bit by little bit and so by the time i was 18 going to college I was definitely starting to like take note of calories. I was, you know, cutting out certain food groups. I was being very like diligent and a little bit obsessive about food, but it wasn't full fledged yet. And then when I turned 18, my best friend died. It was really what I, you know, determined is kind of the ending point of my childhood, but he passed away the first month that we were at college. He was my childhood best friend and he died tragically. He fell out of a tree at University of Mississippi. And it made national news because he was at a fraternity house. As you can imagine, fraternities and sororities have pretty terrible stigmas that go along with them. So on top of dealing with the grief of him passing away, I was also dealing with the grief of seeing really horrible and salacious comments online about how frat boys deserve to die and how, you know, just really heinous things that I've kind of blocked out of my memory, I think, at this point. But at the time, I didn't know how to handle it. I was so young. I was so new. I was already in this, like, new college atmosphere in Arkansas, and I'm from Texas originally, and so I didn't know how else to cope with it, and what I always like to say is, like, in our culture, we're kind of allowed three weeks to grieve. You're allowed the funeral. You're kind of allowed a little bit of time, and then after three weeks, it's like you're supposed to just get on with life and pretend, like, it didn't happen, at least that's how I felt, and... I didn't have the coping skills to understand how to deal with his passing, so I turned even more into an eating disorder that was already formulating. So between like 18 to 22 is when I say like it really started to get worse and worse. College life is really prime picking for eating disorders. I lived with a lot of women that had disordered eating if not eating disorders. You know, weed would drink alcohol and not eat. That just became kind of like a cultural norm and I think it still is. It's something that we now refer to as drunkorexia and so at 21 i got a dwi and i've posted this picture on my social media so many times because i like to like express that like eating disorders are not all about the weight they're about the way that they change your life they're about the choices that you make because you're living in them and when i got a dwi it was because i had been drinking on an empty stomach and i had had two glasses of wine you know i didn't think that I was over the legal limit and I was arrested. So, as you can imagine that was incredibly humiliating and kind of in the sense of trying to make up for it, I started getting into like this exercising into running. And so I started running multiple times a day and I was running, you know, X amount of miles. And I started to lose weight. And I really wanted everyone to think that I had gotten my life back under control. And, of course, in our culture, we have this, like, ridiculous stereotype that if you're fit and you eat clean, somehow you have your life together more so than someone else. And so I really dived into that for that last year of college. And following that, I moved to Europe. Because, of course, I think this is what a lot of people feel like is, like, you get an eating disorder and you keep moving because you're trying to like move locations for something to change you. And so I moved overseas hoping that that would, you know, quote, fix me. And I lived in Spain for a year. I met a woman over there that I fell in love with. And that was my first experience with dating a woman as well. So I was really struggling, not only with an eating disorder, but also with who am I as a person because it really altered the view that I had of my life and of myself. And so by the time I came back from Europe and back from being with her, my visa ran out and I had to come back. And I just couldn't seem to grapple with everything that was going on in my life. And I still hadn't dealt with my best friend dying the years prior to that. And so at 24, I moved to New York and I lasted about six months again, thinking that would change me. And I lasted about six months, and then I, uh, my parents got a call from a couple of my friends. At that point, I was so far in the cycle, it was hard to even envision my life without it. It was all I did. It was all I could think about. I lost a job over it and while I was in New York because I just couldn't be a functional adult, it felt like. And so my friends called my parents, and as soon as my parents like really caught on to it, then they stepped in. And I'm always really grateful that they did because I don't know that I ever would have felt, you know, quote, sick enough which is a huge issue in eating disorders, to have sought help myself.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm amazed at the journey that you've gone on. Just, you know, in general, you never know what's going on with somebody on the outside. And one of the things that's really brought me to your work was your work itself, your writing, especially your really honest, beautiful writing about your journey and insights that you have about the general journey of mental health and eating disorders and the insights that you've gleaned from them with your personal experiences. And I'm curious to know, at what point did you start taking your writing and using writing as an outlet for that and creating the platform that you have now?
1: That's a good question. Thank you. I think writing was always part of my intricate fabric. (laughs) I was writing by the time I was five years old. And so I let go of it when I was in my eating disorder, as I think you do, because you get so wrapped up in living in the eating disorder cycle, again, as I call it, where you're like restricting for a week and then you're binge eating for a couple of days. Then you're purging because you binged. I mean, it's just like this excessive cycle of going from one behavior to another, because most people, I think, like to think that eating disorders are like one thing, like you're only anorexic or you're only a binge eater. But that is just not the case at all for most. Most of us live in this hamster wheel. And so I had really given up writing for a long time. And so when I started writing again, and it was about this eating disorder and about being in, in rehab, I wanted to talk about the women. I really wanted to focus on these beautiful women that I had met in there because they were all normal. I mean, yes, we had eating disorders, but they were all functional adults. Some were, you know, little girls. There was a 13-year-old in there. And then there was like a 55-year-old woman in there. And so I wanted to like capture their essence so that other people could maybe have more insight into what it's like in there and that it's it's really a place of healing if you allow it to be and so yeah writing came naturally for me once i started writing about these women and once i started getting this feedback and started having this community around the writing it really has now become to me one of the biggest reasons i've stayed in recovery instead of slipping back in is that i've built this community around this blog And honestly, around being open and transparent, because once you once you own your own story, once you take it back (laughs) and it's yours, uh, you you kind of own it. And then you're able to own other pieces of your life. And that's what I have found to be very magical about writing.
0: Yeah, I like the way that you talk about that and the act of being in recovery as a community aspect. And it's interesting, too, because I think when we talk a lot about travel, a lot of people talk about travel in the vein of finding healing. And while that's really true, it's also interesting to hear you talking about how while you were still in the depths of your eating disorder, you were still traveling. And so I guess I wonder what is your relationship with travel, you know, and how does that interact with your eating disorder? How does that all interact for you? And how does that play out? Do you find healing in travel? Is it also complicated because you're still in recovery? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, thank you. I love this question because part of the reason I want to do van life and part of the reason I want to do this recovery on the road series is almost because I live with the constant regret that I lived, you know, I lived in this beautiful city in Spain, Sevilla for a year. And then I lived in Manchester, England with this woman that I loved at the time. And in that year and a half that I was over there, I spent so little time traveling because I was too scared to leave the gym. Like Instead, I spent like half my life in Seville, Spain, in this like dusty 500 square foot gym, and I regret that. And and I think it's that regret that has pushed me into looking at travel differently now because I feel much more free and able to do it and not be worried about you know what I'm eating on the road or whether or not my gym schedule is going to get messed up or eating things without knowing the calorie count. And so, travel has been. It's a double-edged sword, right, because I love to travel now, and I need it to, like, fill my soul, really. Like, I need it to feel like I'm alive, is to feel like I can travel. But at the same time, I constantly know that I'm going to be put in discomfort a bit, because no matter how far you are in in the recovery cycle, I think travel can really throw off your recovery at times if you're not careful and aware and really like trying to take notice of like, hey, how am I feeling? Because it can be kind of overwhelming to be on the road or be in hotels or just not in your safe space basically, and not know what you're gonna eat for dinner or maybe not have like accessibility to a kitchen depending on where you are when you travel. So I found that travel has been like both, it has this healing power for me, but at the same time it's also something that I have to constantly challenge myself with too.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to hear you explain it that way because it almost sounds like because travel brings up some of these additional challenges, you're almost confronted with them. And then you need to find a way to move through them and move past them and go forward because otherwise you are just going to be stuck and not travel or travel in a really limited way. And, you know, that in itself also brings you to another level of healing is what I'm hearing in that.
1: Yeah, because when you travel, like at least for me, I feel alive and I feel like part of the vision for my recovery was this idea of traveling without the fear of food or the fear of not having a gym. And now that I'm a little bit closer to that vision that I had back in rehab four years ago, every time that I do travel, I have this immense amount of gratitude and immense amount of praise for where I am now. (laughs) and for what I really wanted out of it, because I feel like life is so short, right? I mean, it's like, you have this one life, and I want to see everything in it that I can, and travel reminds me of that every time.
0: What's one of your most meaningful trips that you've been on since coming out of rehab? Probably when I went back
1: to England recently, about a year ago. I went back and did a solo travel all around England and Wales, and I think I've always loved England, some people make fun of the weather, they're not like too keen on it, but I, I love British culture, I just find it jives with me, and so it was really nice to go back because I met up with a lot of my friends that I had in Spain, and I think that there was something healing about seeing them again, and them seeing me in a different state than I was in when we all lived together, when we were all friends, and it almost felt like there was this healing that came in for me to get to see them again and actually be present with them because I feel like I met these wonderful women when I lived in Spain and that instead of appreciating them and valuing them and really looking at them and asking myself like who are these women as people and how can I be a friend to them I wasn't really present that year that I lived there so that off the top of my head is is one of my favorite trips
0: we'll hear more from Lindsay after this Merrill exists to give you all you really need to discover the simple yet profound power of the trail. They believe the trail is for everybody and everybody. Merrill's goal is to provide thoughtfully designed, rigorously tested products that overdeliver on performance, versatility, and durability. Because when you've got air in your lungs and good shoes on your feet, you've got everything you need. I bought my first pair of Merrill shoes from a local store in Colorado two summers ago while I was living on the road full-time. I got them because I was going to be going on a lot of different trails that year, around the country in my van, and when I put them on, I could see them taking me anywhere. And they did. These shoes are well-worn now, with memories of my first trail runs at the foot of the Rockies, through the backroads of the Mojave Desert, and even on a day hike into the Grand Canyon and back. Not all the times I hit the trail were easy, but I look at those shoes and know I still have more miles to trek. And if I put myself in front of any challenge, I can meet it. Stay tuned for more stories with Merrill this summer. And to learn more in the meantime, visit Meryl.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-L-L.com.
1: I think there's actually quite a few people out there that want to write about eating disorders, but they don't want to write about it as candidly as maybe I try to do.
0: We're back with Lindsay. And I just asked her what she thought about my statement. That not many people out there share as openly as she does when it comes to personal experiences of eating disorders. I wanted to know if there were others out there who talk about the details nobody wants to hear, and if not, why she thinks that might be. We quickly got into a conversation about what the trade offs are for choosing to share this openly about such a vulnerable topic in the first place
1: as I said, like trying to write transparently for me has been a healing grace. It's something I absolutely have to do in order to stay in recovery is to be that kind of like brutally raw transparent account of life with an eating disorder. But at the same time, I also have to grapple with the fact that my family has read it, that I have friends that have read it, you know, that I have other people in my life that read it and it's hard for them. And I've had to manage my family a lot over the last four years in the sense of trying to help them understand that what I write is not cause for concern. They don't need to be scared. They don't need to read every single thing and immediately wonder what the deeper meaning is there. You know, there's just a lot of conflict that can come up when you decide to write pretty brutally honest about your existence and about your past. And I think people sometimes get stopped because of that they don't want to hurt their families and I certainly do not talk about my parents online their privacy is theirs and I would never ever blame them or talk about them for my eating disorder in any kind of negative way but I think it's still been difficult for them to read about parts of my childhood that they maybe didn't see you know when an eating disorder was developing I think it's as any parent would it makes them feel guilty um, even though they shouldn't (laughs) So I think that's why, in my opinion, why some people, like, they'll talk about it, they'll say they had an eating disorder, but they maybe aren't comfortable really talking about the effects of the eating disorder. Like, that's a lot more of what I see online, is, like, I see women that post about being recovered, and they like to post about their, you know, recovery bodies, or their body positivity. There's a, that's a huge movement, but, like, it's hard, I think, to talk about the really nitty-gritty of it. It's a lot easier to talk about the after than the before.
0: That makes sense. I think with a lot of stuff especially what comes out online we just usually end up skipping to the part where it all makes sense and we can reflect back on it instead of saying this is what's going on right now and it's hard and I don't have any answers but I just wanted to share where I'm at because I'm sure other people are there too. It's uncomfortable.
1: Yeah and I think when people start thinking that they have this you know especially like recovery advocates when you start being in a position where you feel like people are looking to you for an answer it becomes much more difficult to be transparent about when you struggle. And I absolutely never, ever want people to look at me as though I have all the answers. I certainly don't. All I ever want people to turn to me to or to read my writing is to hopefully either feel like they relate or feel like I have given them a seed. And I mean just a seed of perspective that they can begin to grow their own tree with because there's nothing that I'm going to say that's ever going to fix anybody
0: that's so true that's a hard truth too but I appreciate you saying that I'm so curious to hear a little bit more about your dreams of this big road trip can you tell me a little bit about the road trip that you have dreamed up
1: yeah so I have this recovery on the road series that I've been <laughs> dreaming about for the past year because I am fascinated by van life I want to like live more minimally and I think it'd be interesting for my recovery that was kind of my initial thought was like putting myself in this like beautiful discomfort of of living more minimally and also having access to the road and being able to travel around now that I'm in a healthy state of recovery, that I feel like I can enjoy it, be present, you know, go see Mount Rushmore and actually be watching, like, look at Mount Rushmore and not just be thinking about how I need to hike off my lunch or whatever it was in the past. And so from that has kind of spawned this recovery on the road idea. And partly it's been from the mass amount of emails that I receive almost daily, about mental health recommendations, people looking for eating disorder treatment recommendations, asking like, you know, which treatment facilities are the best, you know, what if I want a holistic approach, where can I go to there, or people asking, hey, in my state, do you know anywhere where I can turn to? And the truth is like, no, I don't. I have quite a few good recommendations on hand from big corporate <laughs> treatment centers but I don't know what all is out there and so part of this journey would be wanting to go kind of state to state you know talking to people in that state figuring out is there a nonprofit in their state that helps aid with people going to treatment you know what does that state offer mental health wise and really kind of shining light on some of the treatment facilities some of the different approaches some of the more individualized treatment approaches some of the more corporate and just giving that kind of more of a well-rounded view of that and then Additionally, I want to write a book. Now that I've had this blog for four years, a book has been on the docket for a pretty long time, and I want to start writing that while I'm on the road. It's all kind of coming together in my head, and it's exciting.
0: It is exciting. I love hearing that you're taking something that has been a really long-time challenge that you've been moving through and evolving with, and you're turning it into something where you're not only gaining from it and growing from it, but you want to give back to and create a community where there can be more support and open honesty about what it's like to have an eating disorder.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I want to connect with the people that read my blog. You know, I think it's like You can write to the universe of the digital universe all you want, but is that really connecting? I mean, in this day and age, yes, but I want to meet people that follow my blog. I want to see them face to face. I don't think that we can heal from eating disorders without community. And so that's always been an important aspect to me.
0: Definitely. I'm curious to know as you have been doing some travel on the road and just abroad since coming out of rehab, have you developed any practices or things that have worked well for you so that you still feel like you're staying on track and staying in recovery or have you still been kind of experimenting with what that's like while you're on the move?
1: So recently my partner and I got to do a van trip for a week which was super fun and one of the things that we did right before we left was sit down and I meal prepped. And I know the word meal prep can make people shiver, like some people just absolutely hate it. And I'm certainly not a meal prepper on a daily basis, but for something like a trip, we really wanted to think out like, you know, what are we going to eat? What snacks are we going to have? Otherwise I get a lot of anxiety, not knowing where my food's going to come from or not knowing where we're going to eat. We talked about how much we were going to eat out and how much we were going to actually cook within the van. And that was super helpful to me. We went to the grocery store before, so it was kind of already stocked up. It felt like I was already prepared. I think there's just that sense of control that people with eating disorders often have a hard time letting go of and i certainly do <laughs> where you still want to have control over what your food is going to look like and not feel like you're just kind of thrown into the traveling ethroverse without any plan and so i definitely do meal prepping for that i write out my intentions before so something else we did before the van trip was my partner brought this up which was a great point but he was like lindsay i don't want you to just be on this trip and not be observing how you feel when you're in the van, observing how you feel while you're doing it. Do you feel comfortable? Is this what you expected it to be? So I wrote up my intentions for the trip and what I wanted out of it. And I try to do that for almost every trip. Now that I go on is like, what would make this, what what will make this a successful trip for me? And what can get in the way that I need to be aware of now? Because I think that you have to be cognizant of your triggers ahead of time. You can't just let your triggers find you. You have to know what they are, identify them, and work through them or at least have them on the forefront of your brain as you go.
0: Before we hopped off the phone, I asked Lindsay for some advice for anyone out there who might be on the road to recovery or on your way to it and wanting to incorporate more travel into their lives. Here's what she said. We get
1: out of rehab and we like think that we're gonna be cured. And like the truth is like treatment doesn't cure you. Treatment just gives you the bones so that you can start flushing it out. <laughs> like it takes years to unlearn everything that we've thought, you know, everything that we've forced ourselves to learn in an eating disorder. It took me four years to stop calorie counting, to be completely honest. So when you get out of treatment, you have this idea of what your recovery is going to look like, right? And I tell this to people, but I'm like, write it out. And I know not everyone's a writer, so maybe you should just voice record it. It doesn't matter. Whatever modem works for you, draw it out if you're a drawer or a painter. But like, I wrote out a scene of my recovery, and I did this a lot throughout my treatment days, of writing out what recovery looked like to me and what I was doing in it. And a lot of the times, what I was doing in my recovery was traveling, right? And I was literally writing out like scenes, like the most minute scenes of like sitting on an airplane and just being comfortable staring out the window and not being concerned about when I was gonna eat or how I was gonna eat. Writing out the intention, I suppose, of your life and when you're traveling keeping that with you and going back to it reread it because when you're traveling it's a privilege it is an absolute privilege to be able to travel and when you can see something new don't you want to be there to really like absorb it and really be present with it and so if you have to write it out every morning what you want out of that day what you want out of that travel day write it out or voice it out or draw it out it doesn't matter But you've got to keep that perspective in mind, in my opinion. And I have to do that all the time. Otherwise, I get wrapped up in it. And before I know it, the travel's over. And I've missed it. And I don't want to miss
0: any more of my life. Thanks so much to Lindsay Hall for her time and the courageously honest way she shared her story with us for the show. If you'd like to read Lindsay's writing and see more of her travels, you can find her at Lindsay Hall Writes on Instagram and through her blog, I Haven't Shaved in Six Weeks.com. We'll also link other resources in our show notes for those who are looking to learn more on eating disorders and recovery. We'll see you next week, but in the meantime, you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram at Women on the Road and on Facebook, including our Facebook group for community questions, stories, and support which you can find by searching for Women on the Road Podcast. Also, if you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You could even share this episode with a friend you think might like it. Thanks again to our sponsor, Meryl. Music is by Josh Woodward. This episode was edited by me with support from Gail Straub. Women on the Road is a production of Ravel Creative. Until next time, we'll see you out there.